Hey guys, welcome back to a Chinese teen talking about Islam podcast. Like I said in the previous episode, in this episode we are going to talk about um, my trip to Xinjiang province and what I've learned concerning um, religious policies and their culture and more like um, this um, topic is more like history instead of religious studies. So I think it can be interesting. So stick with me and we're going to talk about the cultures of Uyghur people and Tajik people. Since I titled this episode Midsummer Recap, I know it's still like mid-July and it's actually um, one, at one in the afternoon and it's July 13th. And by the way, I'm more like an afternoon person. A lot of people are like morning person or night person. I'm definitely an afternoon person because in the mornings, I just feel so freaking unproductive. I feel like I just woke up and I can't do anything. But in the afternoon, I feel like afternoons are pretty long and I can do a lot of things. But maybe that's just in my head, whatever, my weird perception. And um, I know this is not midsummer yet. Um, it's only like mid-July. However, to rising seniors, the whole common app application starts or like opens on July 1st. So it's probably referring to the fact that our summer's basically over. Is <laughs> going to be over very soon. Anyways, I have been done anything that's so exciting um, during this um, several weeks in my life or like um, at the beginning of the summer and I have not felt the serotonin in my head for so so long. I haven't felt the excitement or pure happiness. I just feel numb and numbness literally devours my head and just I don't know what I'm doing 24-7 and it's not a good sign. But I don't know, maybe I'll stick with it and I'll see what that leads to and I'll just go with it. I don't know what I'm talking about. Let's give you guys a quick recap of this midsummer. So um, I want to talk super fast for a bit because I want to um, show you guys and or just not show you guys, but just talk through some of my favorite songs for midsummer. I know a lot of you guys may found it quite boring, but um, I'm just gonna, whatever. <laughs> My favorite song right now, and I've listened nonstop, is American Money by Borns. Oh my god, this song is amazing, and I'm actually super surprised that I haven't heard of this song um, like before, because it was actually four years it was first released i guess it's 2015 or 2016 so almost five years ago which is four years ago so i'm pretty surprised that i haven't heard it earlier and this is my definitely my favorite song and my favorite lyric is actually um paradise in your eyes green like american money you taste just fine sweet like tennessee honey like the rhyme here is really cool and the second Second is probably, let me see, um, um, let's see, Ghost Town by Kanye West, um, Cry Baby by The Neighborhood, and Industry 
um, by Nathan McKay. Um, Industry is actually a HBO series, I guess. Um, I watched it last year, at the end of last year, and it was so good. I watched it with my dad, and it got me so much more inf- information about the business industry, like the econ industry, Wall Street, and the investment industry. So it's super cool. You should definitely go check it out if you're interested in those kind of fields. And I still want to talk about a little bit about the podcast that I've been listening to um, during these past few weekends or weeks. Um, my favorite podcast right now is probably Socially Awkward, but Kennedy hasn't posted anything since February this year, so I'm a little bit concerned, I'm a little bit worried, but that's not my business. But I really, really look forward to more episodes in the summer, and I love Socially Awkward because it's really relatable and it's very hashtag teenage mind stuff. So I guess you can just listen to it if you have nothing to do or if you're taking a shower or just doing your chores or something. And it's great. Yeah, it's very fun. My favorite movie right now is probably, let me see. Oh, I've got a favorite Netflix shows right now. It's called How to Get Away with Murder. I know it may sound a little bit um, weird or just terrifying, but trust me, it's so good. Like, you have to watch the first season, probably the second season, but I don't think the third season is that good, but you definitely have to watch the first or the second season. It's so good. It's so, um, intense, like, the environment and stuff just keep going on and on and on and non-stop, and everyone's so stressed out, and I, I am actually very amazed that those people can handle this pressure, because I know I'm 17 right now, if I have ever encountered those stuff that they've gone through, I would probably go nuts, that's just, I'm, I would not, not be able to handle this at this age, but anyways, you could, you should definitely go check it out. Right now, I'm just gonna stop rambling, and let's get to the main topic of today's episode. So one thing that's pretty interesting and intrigued me probably the most is the legacy of Buddhism. Like I said, a lot of times I'm not religious. Um, my family is not that religious, but my mom is super religious. As a matter of fact, she just went to another field, sort of field trip with some of her friends who were just total strangers to attend to a Buddhist Buddhism conference in another province and she just left yesterday. Um, so yeah, so Buddhist, I have got some Buddhism heritage and Neo-Confucianism heritage, as I said a lot of times before, and the legacy of Buddhism still shines this thing down, and as I uh, walk through those libraries and those museums, a lot of guiding, um, those people who guide you through the museums and talk you through some, some of the, um, artifacts and history and they told me that the legacy of Buddhism still shines in Xingjiao and there are so many so many um, demonstrations left there. First we're going to give you guys um, an example. Um, A city called Kuka and it is it was a bustling township at the center of the Asian city of Qiuzi um, which used to be a hub for business 
culture and thoughts along the ancient Silk Road. So a lot of things were going on in, at this place and a lot of exchange, including cultural exchange, which is business um, or economic exchange, happened at Xiuzi, this hub. Um, it also drew travelers and traders from far and wide, all with different perspectives on life and eager to learn from others. It was also known to be a place where belief system could truly thrive because um, everything's so complex and there are so many different people with different cultural backgrounds. That's why a belief system could really thrive and basically any belief system could thrive. Um, the centuries seem to have passed in a flush, yet the long passage of time cannot totally bury history because we have so many evidence, historical evidence, including ruins of some temples and so many things that can demonstrate and prove that a lot of things have or had happened there. There are ruins of Sabash Temple north of the city of Kuka in southern Xinjiang, highlighting the dominance of the Buddhist religion in these parts. Buddhism came to Tiltz around the 2nd century. Construction began on Sebash in the following century, like the 3rd century. It was supposed to be the largest temple, um, and it flourished until the 12th century. So we could see nowadays the traces of the time when Indian Buddhism was introduced into China, and Chinese Buddhism later spread westward, in, um, especially in Korea and Japan. These traces have gone down in history, and the evidence is still quite vague. However, there are strong claims in a Kizil Buddhist cave temples in neighboring Baichen County, um, and there are a lot of scholars have been doing research in those areas for more than two decades. And the theme of these paintings in particular um, is closely related to uh, um, a Buddhist a kind of Buddhism and the stories that they present are also closely related to Buddhism. The tales are about Buddhist, um, Buddha, Buddhist previous lives and journey in this life, um, in the present life. On this dome, like in a particular dome, there is a painting of the Buddhist life as Prince Siddhartha is sacrificing his own life to save a family of tigers. So it's a lot of like folklores and um, a lot of historical stories and tales. These paintings are also said to encourage kindness and good deeds and good hearts. It was actually from Tzu where Buddhism was introduced to Central Asia for the first time. Tzu has actually has a prince and he traveled eastward and translated numerous Buddhist scriptures into the Asian Chinese language in Chang'an, which is the capital city in Tang Dynasty. And today, Chang'an is called Tian City. Um, it's a northwest city um, in Shanxi province until, yeah, and then after the prince passed away, um, the other people kept um, translating those scriptures into Asian language, a Chinese language. Those temples and the Buddhists who once lived there brought Buddhism to Tiozi. Through this, they were able to bridge cultural exchanges between the East and the West and promote world cultural prosperity and development. Um, though in the past centuries, many were stolen and brought to other parts of the world because of a lot of things like warfare, the Second World War, and the First World War, and then 20th, 19th, and 20th century. Um, also because of some uh, numerous incidents that's going on, that was going on 
during the Chinese ref reforms period of time, very chaotic. That period of time was very chaotic. If you're interested in, in those cultural reformation and stuff in a negative way, you know, sometimes re reforms are not always great. They can be really bad and negative. And the Chinese cultural reformation has a huge, huge negative impact on traditional Chinese culture, including those Buddhist um, temples and paintings, or just books and scripts, scriptures. Still, there are remains that are well preserved and listed as part of a UNC SEO World Heritage. Those evidence are the window into a time when Buddhism truly felt flourished in Xinjiang province. Over time, Buddhism gradually disappeared from Tzu because um, other foreign um, religions come in through a lot of methods like warfare or just trade. Um, but the Buddhist legacy remains and it will not quietly turn to ashes and dust because we kept it preserved, well preserved in museums and just other places. And they will be remembered for generations to come. So like I said, I was actually very surprised by the fact that Buddhist um, Buddhism was actually the first language introduced to Xinjiang province. I'm not talking about Zoroastrianism because Zoroastrianism was actually the first language that have, oh, what? I said language, what the heck? First religion that have ever existed on this planet. And I don't know if I have ever talked about Zoroastrianism on this podcast, but I feel like I've talked about it a little bit. But if you're an not aware that there is actually a religion called Zoroastrianism and it's pretty interesting so I'm gonna introduce Zoroastrianism real quick for like two minutes. Zoroastrians in India are called Parses in particular because there's um, not so many Zoroastrianism in this um, world right now. Um, Parses are a very well-respected community because they've been so influential in industrialization of India and setting up many charities, hospitals, and universities. Zoroastrians in India, Parses, are also considered very honest and hardworking. They're a very precious community for Indian people. A lot of my Indian friends told me that they loved Zoroastrianisms, um, Zoroastrians because they're very, very friendly people. And um, fun fact, the largest businessman in India is actually is Zoroastrian. And he is, um, he, he is Ratan Tata, who um, donates most money to India government to fight with Corona. So yeah, that's kind of like a fun fact. And another place where most Zoroastrians are these days is actually Iran. The reason why most, the majority of probably 99% of Zoroastrians actually live in Iran and India. Um, the reason um, is, we're going to talk about the reason in just a few minutes. First thing first, Zoroastrians, Zoroastrianism is actually the Asian religion of Iran. Um, it is one of the oldest ongoing religions and honored the course of history by influencing Judaism, Christianity, Islam, and Greek philosophy. Uh, but today has only a fraction of the millions of followers it once had. So 
what do Zoroastrians believe and where do otters fit into? Let's find, find out about all those mysterious Zoroastrianism. Zoroastrianism was actually born in ancient Iran at least 3,500 years ago, so it all began, began around 1500 BCE um, with prophet Zoroaster, as the Asian Greeks called him, and so English speakers do too. So we call um, this person prophet Zoroaster, um, and we call the religion Zoroastrianism. Actual Zoroastrians tend to call it Mazdayasna, meaning worshipper of Mazda. Um, it is actually named after the Mazda that we will explain shortly after. Um, Zoroastrianism was the chief religion of Iran for over a thousand years between the 6th century BCE and 10th century CE. It was the state religion of three huge Iranian empires, um, along with the Parthian and Sassanian empires. Back then, the priests of Zoroastrianism were known as Magi. The Asian Greeks thought that the Magi had secret magical knowledge since they understood complex astronomy. This led to the English words magic, mage, and magician. The Magi would even show up in the Bible according to the Gospel of Matthew 3. Um, Zoroastrian Magi came to visit their baby Jesus. These three wise men, as they are known in English, are still celebrated by Christians worldwide on January 6th. Eventually, the Sassanian Empire would fall to the Muslim Arabs during their invasion of Iran in the 7th century, which started the decline and persecution of Zoroastrianism. And that's why, uh, in particular in Iran, and that's why Zoroastrianism is hardly even just heard from. So following this, in the 10th century, some Iranian Zoroastrians fled to India, forming the Parsi community, like I said before, named after where they came from, which um, the Indians called Persia. This one's refugee community now forms the largest group of Zoroastrians anywhere on earth, and they've settled in quite well. One of India's largest businessmen, like Tata Group, was founded by Zoroastrians and, I'm sorry, not businessmen, businesses. One of Indian's largest businesses, Tata Group, was actually founded by Zoroastrians and Parsis, played a massive role in winning Indian independence from Britain, and they engaged themselves in charities, um, as well as helping uh, Indian government to um, overcome coronavirus. Zoroastrians can now be found all over the world. Historically, they emigrated to areas such as Singapore, Hong Kong, and parts of Africa, such as the island of Zinzabar and where Freddie Mercury's Parsi parents will later emigrate from to the UK. In the last 100 years, small Zoroastrian populations have moved to US, UK, Australia, and Canada, all those Western countries. Today, there are about 200,000 Zoroastrians in total. About 600,000 live in India, while the second largest group of about 25,000 live in Iran. With a religion being called Zoroastrianism, I think it's time we talk about the founder or the prophet Zoroaster. We don't know about much about his life. We can even pinpoint where he lived or when he lived. The Greeks thought that he lived 6,000 years before the death of Plato, so I don't know. I can't do the math. You can do the math yourself. While modern historians place him somewhere around 1700 to, um, I remember it's actually 1000 BCE, 1700 to 1000. During this time, the peoples of Iran believed in many different gods. Um, they're not monotheism, so some of which were similar to the gods of their ancient Hindu neighbors. What we do know about 
Zoroastrianist that he was a priest of the pre-Zoroastrian religion of Iran and that he was outraged with his society. Roving bands of drunken warriors would ravage the countryside. They pillaged, tortured, and slaughtered at will. The common people lived in constant fear and misery, while the priests um, obsessed over obscure obscure rituals and sacrifices that offer little guidance or hope or help to the suffering people. So Zoroaster could not stand this, and he was outraged, just like I said, um, by these injustices. When he was 30 years old, Zoroaster went down to a river to fetch water for a ceremony, just like, oh my god, those folk um, folklores or tales and historical, which is probably real, I don't know, just like the story of Siddhartha. It's all about water and a river. Because you always get the enlightenment from the river, right? From the water. There he received a vision from being of pure light and goodness. And this person is called Ahura Mazda, who revealed that they were the one true God. The truth of how the universe worked was revealed to Zoroaster, and he knew that it was his divine mission to teach his fellow human beings about Ahura Mazda. So what are the core beliefs of Zoroastrianism? The Zoroastrianism actually officially was born after this incident with the river thing. And first, the first core belief is Zoroastrians worship one uncreated and eternal god known as Ahura Mazda, which means wise lord. Zoroaster describes this person as the lord of order, something completely good, loving, pure, infinitely wise, and a creator of the world and all the good things. Ahura Mazda is supported by six holy immortals known as the Amasha Spentas. These six holy immortals are normally compared to archangels in Christianity, if that helps you understand it. Um, sometimes there is a seventh Spenta called Spenta Mayu, but maybe this is also just the Holy Spirit of Hura Mesta. Sometimes Hura Mesta has a parent called Zervine, who is time itself, but this is considered hearsay at this point. There are a lot of different interpretations over the last 3,000 years. We're just simplifying and proving the most common and currently accepted beliefs. So there are so many information um, that is unclear or unjustified yet. Opposed to Ahura Mazda is Agra Mayu, the destructive spirit, and his evil minions known as the Devas. Angra Mayu is the complete polar opposite of Ahura Mazda. He's darkness, deceit, disease, death, and decay. He is a corrupting parasite seeking to destroy Ahura Mazda's creation and responsible for all the negative things in this world. So basically, Ahura Mazda is light, and Angra Mayu is darkness and evil. And one is the creator, and one is the destroyer. Destroyer, And one created light, fire, compact Japanese vehicles, joy, humanity, warmth, puppies, probably. Ingra Mayu gave the world disease, rust, death, darkness, mold, and a little piece of skin that pops up around your nail that hurts so much. Yep. Zoroastrians think everything is a battle between these two opposites, the good and the bad, the truth and the lie. Human beings need to choose between the truth and the lie, the light and the darkness, which may be a difficult thing because Angra Mayu can be very deceiving and convincing to some people. Before time began, Ahura Mazda and Angra Mayu were separated by an inf infinite void. They respectively lived in infinite light and within infinite darkness. Then Ahura Mazda created a physical world and Angra Mayu crawled into this new world and polluted it. They made the ocean soddy, they turned good earth into desert, killed the first human, made plants wither, and polluted fire with smoke. 
We now live in a time Zoroastrians refer to as the mixture. Good and evil, truth and a lie, both exist together in this world. Moreover, Zoroastrians actually believe that the bad presence of Angra Mayu is actually temporary. They are a stain on the world rather than a permanent fixture. So this period of time may end in the future. They, at least that's what they believe. Okay, enough information about Zoroastrianism. I hope I made it pretty clear. If you're still interested, there are some information linked in the description box somewhere, somewhere around. So don't forget to check those out if you're interested. And let's move on to another religion in ancient Xinjiang province. Oh, by the way, if I haven't said this yet, um, in Asian Xinjiang, there are there were three dominant religions, respectively, I guess. Um, let's say um, Buddhism, and Zoroastrianism, and then later Islam. So, just in case you are not aware of that, because it may get a little bit confusing, you may be wondering why I even just mentioned Zoroastrianism. That's why. So, about during the Northern Song Dynasty, Islam was actually first introduced into Xinjiang region from Central Asia. From 15th to 16th century, Islam had rapid development in Xinjiang province, not only reflected, um, I guess, in the increased devotional people, or like the believers and the expanded area's population, but also the forming of main ideology of all ethnic groups. Islam occupied advantages in Xinjiang's Turpin and Hami districts. It had become a unified religion of Uyghur from different areas. It had a profound influence of Uyghur language, customs, ethics, and psychological quality. And let's talk about the spread and development of Islam in Xinjiang province. Each dynasty implemented Islamic law, the Sharia law. The religious top people like Shak, uh, mullah had a higher social status, which are honored as teachers, ulamas, and religious advisors um, by the king. And the rulers, or the sultan, and the rulers support religious leaders had a lot of rights. The religious top people gave reconstruction to the tombs of the Islamic mater. Since the early 17th century, Central Asia Sufis and famous um, Farouk Azam's sons came to Xinjiang successfully to do missionary work using their special identity with the southern Xinjiang Yakhtin ruler support. They widely accepted disciples, amassed wealth, formed a strong religious and political power. As for leadership, this family were divided into two different religious sects with which were opposite. Until the middle of 18th century, the Qing dynasty pacified that area and reoccupied Xinjiang, hence the Kaja family forces was collapsed. Which is a good thing because, to be honest, if this family formed two contradictory or hostile um, groups that are hostile to each other, then it's not very safe and peaceful for the people and innocent people who live there. At the same time of the development of that specific family called Koja family, Islamic Sufis mysticism got further spread and developed. Um, it combines things down Turkic ethnic original religious influence and traditional culture produced many Sufi mystical um, sect. The emergence and development of the um, one particular sect called Ishan sect promoted the development of the saints, the holy um, scepter, and the enlargement of the Mazari architecture and formed Xinjiang's unique Islamatic institution. 
There are a lot of famous Islam mosques in Xinjiang, like I said, I went to Kashir, and there are some, I went to visit this mosque, I don't know how to pronounce it, but it's called Eid Mosque in Kashir, and there are so many other mosques in Irumuchi, um, called Shanxi Great Mosque in Irumuchi, and yeah, Xinjiang has more than 24,000 mosques, which are actually impressive. The number is very impressive. And the mosque that I went to in Kashir is actually China's largest mosque and Islamic culture center of southern Xinjiang. Because, you know, I visited the southern Xinjiang instead of the north northern Xinjiang. Thank you guys so much for listening to today's episode. Um... In the next episode, I'm going to talk more about uh, the Tajik and Uyghur cultures in Xinjiang instead of the history side of everything, the religions and stuff. So yeah, stay tuned for the next episode. I'll probably see you guys tomorrow or in two days because I am currently using Notion to schedule and stay on track of the whole schedule thing so i hope that i can make everything super clear on my notion app this is not sponsored by the way um but i just feel like notion is very helpful and i've been um watching those youtube videos in which a lot of youtubers and teenagers like myself are teaching others how to create a template for their um tracks and for homework, personal health, uh, fitness, and just their extracurricular and their personal projects and stuff. So I actually have a podcast idea page and it's working really well. So if you have a lot of things that's going on in your life and you want to stay focused on a thing, so you can definitely go use Notion and create your own template, by the way. I'm just giving a little bit suggestion. So yeah, thank you guys so much for listening. Have a nice day. Bye.